Today we start a new series on Galatians, and I've entitled this series, The Only Thing That Matters, Faith Expressing Itself Through Love. So I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles, and we're going to spend actually quite a bit of time in the Scriptures today, so please take your Bibles. Uh, You can use the Bible in the pew in front of you, or if you'd like to get out your app, because it's easier to follow along that way. Let me ask you to get out your Bibles as we go through this this book together. Before I start, I have a question I'd like to ask, and let me ask our ushers, those of you who have the roving mics, ushers, you want to come on up to the front and we'll see if anybody wants to answer my opening question. But I'd like to begin with a question, and I'd like you to be honest. Don't give the Sunday school answer, okay? Don't give the answer that you think the teacher is expecting. This is not a class and this is not a test. But it is... A very important time where I think we can ask ourselves this question and wrestle with it. And my question is this. What really matters to you in your life? What really matters? Raise your hand if you want to share. We have microphones on this side, microphones on that side. Raise your hand if you'd like to share with us what really matters in your life. Any volunteers? Is the mic on? Oh, that one's dead. Okay. Here, we'll pass you the other one. We have a, we have a person who's willing to share. What really matters? In, okay, there we go. My phone. I'm sorry, what? Your phone. My phone. Thank you for an honest response. Um, yes. Let's all clap. Okay. Someone else, what really matters to you in your life? Here. Let's move a little bit quicker. Okay, here we go. My cat. Your cat, yes. Our critters. Someone else in the back. What really matters? Uh, Different relationships. Yeah, your relationships. Good. Someone else. Do you have any people over the age of like 18 that want to answer the question? No offense. I'm super happy our youth love to jump in. I just wish those above 18 would, would jump in as well. Okay. Someone over age 18? Okay. Are you above 18? Okay. Oh, okay. Why is this short? Peace. Peace. Peace where? My life. Okay, My peace heart. in your life. Okay. World peace? I was like... Personal peace. Like being at peace. Like being still. All right. So you're not into the big world peace thing. It's just peace in your own life. Okay. Good. Someone else. What really matters? Let's hear one or one or two more of you. Anybody over the age 18? Want to share? Over the age 30, maybe. My children. Who who said that? Over here. (laughs) Okay. Your children. Thank you. Your children matter. What else really matters to you in your life? Sleep. Sleep. Yes. Amen. Get a lot of people um, clapping to that one. One last person. What really matters in your life? One last one? Usually the last one's the zinger. Anybody got a, got a good one you want to share? Happiness. What was that? I missed that. Happiness. Happiness. Okay, good. Well, 
Thank you to all of you who shared. Uh, let me say that to each one of you, every single one of you here today has something that's important to you in your life, whether or not you shared it with, with all of us. And I think that when I ask that question, a lot of the answer to it depends upon what age you are. I remember when I was in high school, there were two things that were very important to most kids in my high school. The first was your car. And that was very important. I had a 56 Chevrolet that was completely restored and everybody thought I had the coolest car in, in Titusville High School. So I, I was the guy, you know, come drive my car. Um, the second thing that was very important when I was in high school was having a tan. Now, I know that's not important for those of you in, in Boston, but I grew up in Florida. And those were two things that were very, very important. But when you move on to college, what's important is your grades whether or not you can get into grad school, whether or not you get the job you want when you graduate. Then you move on to graduation, postgraduate time, and what becomes important is finding a mate, finding somebody who's willing to put up with all of your idiosyncrasies and listen to all your crazy jokes that you often tell over and over and over again, and someone who will listen to you when you're hurting and put up with your snoring when you're sleeping. So, finding a mate is very important. Finding a house is very important. Finding a career that matches your sense of calling of why did God put me on this earth. All these things are very, very, very important. But let me switch the question around a little bit. What if I don't ask you the question of what's important to you or what really matters to you? What if I switch the question a little bit and I say, okay, think about the church for a minute. What really matters is. Now, if I ask that question, we're going to have a whole range of responses. Some of the youth will say what's really important is the, is the music and the drums. Okay? The drums are very important. That's why we have drums. Uh, that really matters. And it's very important. I'm not saying it isn't. But for some people, the organ is important. It's not too important to us, so we like put something on it so we can't even see it during the service. I guess the Mandarin um, section thinks it's important, but that's not really important to a lot of us because we're younger, or some of us are younger. I'm getting older, but in any case, uh, if you ask the question, what really matters in church, you'll find a whole range of responses. The food, like this morning at, at the map study, you know, I confessed to Melissa that part of the reason why I joined today was the food, because they always have wonderful food. And so that matters. Uh, to other people, what matters is what missions do we support? To other people, what matters is what kind of a facility do we have? Do we have a nice sanctuary? Do we have a multi-purpose auditorium where you can have basketball as well as a worship service? So in the church, you have people who who seize upon something that's very important, and they often stress it. Now, we're going to look at a book today that deals with a question of what really matters in the church. And at the time when the book of Galatians was written, there was one thing that really mattered, and I thought it was interesting, none of you mentioned it today, and what really mattered to some of the people who Paul was writing to when he wrote to Galatians was circumcision. Now, none of you listed that as the answer today, that that was really important to you. And I'm sort of glad you didn't, because that would have really embarrassed me. But what was the issue with circumcision, and why was that such a big deal in the church? It was a big deal in the church because for the Jews, circumcision for the males 
was the sign that they were in God's favor, that they were in God's covenant, that they were saved. That on the last day, they would be accepted by God. And so there was this outward sign to show that they were God's people. And that was really, really, really important to the Jews. So important, though, that at times they stressed the outward sign more than the inward spiritual reality. So when Paul's writing to the Roman Christians, he's, he reminds them and says, He is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit. And his praise is not from men, but from God. So this outward sign was to point to an inward spiritual reality of being cleansed by the Holy Spirit of God. But unfortunately, at the time when Paul wrote Galatians, there were Judaizing Christians, people who said, if you want to be a Christian, you have to first become a Jew, and that means you've got to be circumcised if you're male. Ladies, you're off the hook. Thank you, Jesus. But for all the men um, who were Gentiles, they had a problem if they were listening to the Judaizers. But what was even worse than the fact that they were telling the men you had to be circumcised, they were saying that being circumcised represents the fact that you're obligated to keep the entire Judaistic ceremonial law and all the 626 or 636 regulations, everything about what you can eat, what you can drink, but how to do this, how to do that, what to do when you get um, a sore on your arm, how you have to come and present it to the priest, the whole shebang, people. That's what these Judaistic Christians were telling the people in Galatia, you've got to do and you've got to focus on. And Paul wrote an entire letter to help people realize, no, that isn't what's important, but to help people realize what it is that's really important. So what I want to do today in this message is I want to give you an overview of the book of Galatians and hit upon five things that the Apostle Paul thinks are extremely important and should really matter to every single one of us in the church. Let me begin. I'm going to read Galatians chapter one, verses one through nine. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. So as we look at the beginning of the book of Galatians, we see that what was so important to Paul and what should really matter to us is that you hold to the gospel of the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And in the first nine verses, there are several points in those first nine verses where he talks about the gospel or, or he talks about the work of Christ. Look at verse six together. 
He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This phrase, to live in the grace of Christ, he didn't say it that way. That's the New International Version. If you have the English Standard Version, um, what you read is this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ. If you have the new, uh, the King James Version, it says uh, you're quickly deserting the one who called you into the grace of Christ. If you have the New American Standard, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. So what's the big deal here? This is um, a preposition. Does it mean in, with, by, into? What does it mean and why is it substantive? Well, what it means is, is that the reason why they were called and what made them Christians and what should characterize the entire part of their entire Christian life was the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul is hammering home that what the gospel is, is it's a gospel concerning Christ. And the good news is Christ has come in the world and it's a gospel of God's grace. That's why they believed that's how they were supposed to live. And that's what it is that they were departing from. They were departing from the grace of Christ. What about today? Paul talks about the fact that when he wrote Galatians, there were people who were trying to pervert the gospel and take this other gospel, which Paul says is no gospel at all, and say, this is the gospel. While Paul calls them back to the grace of Christ. What are people taking today and saying, this is the gospel but it's really not the gospel. One of the things that people are doing today is they're stressing the whole idea of universalism. That it doesn't really matter um, what you believe because Jesus is going to save everyone or in the end everybody's going to be saved so it really doesn't matter. Universalism, that's what people are saying is the gospel today. There's pluralism, where people are saying all roads are equally valid to get to God. And that is what many people feel is the gospel. You just accept every single religion. Another supposed gospel for today is the gospel of relativism. Whatever works for you. Hey, Jesus works for you. Great. Buddha works for me. Muhammad works for my friend over there. Whatever. It's whatever you choose. It's relativism. It's so bad that even in the Church of Christ, ministers are waffling on this question. I don't know how many of you liked, liked watching Larry King live. It was one of my favorite shows years ago. But Larry King would uh, have all these personalities come on his show on CNN and then he'd interview them. And he'd ask them like the most probing questions he could possibly ask them. And one of the persons he got to interview one day was Joel Osteen, who's a very prominent preacher in Texas. Some of you came from Texas. Pastor Stan, where's Pastor Stan? Um, you, probably know, you probably know of Joel Osteen. has a huge church, has tens of thousands of people in it. Um, they took a stadium and converted it into a church. And so many people listen to Joel Osteen. They read his books and everything. And he claims to be a Christian. He claims to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's very interesting that on the most important point of how are you saved and will a Jew be saved? Will a Muslim be saved? Will anybody be saved who's a different religion other than Jesus Christ? Here's what Joel Osteen says to Larry King on Larry King Live. Well, 
I don't know, Larry. It just seems to me. Listen to the interview on YouTube. He says at least 37. I think, see, the 37 or 73 times he says, I don't know, Larry. I don't know, Larry. Well, here's Joel Osteen. He doesn't know what the gospel is. Because he doesn't say it's only the grace of Christ that saves you today. And his lack of clarity and his complete confusion on the central and most important thing that any of us could ever be clear on, which is how are you saved and how are you accepted by God? Even such a prominent and famous pastor as Joel Osteen doesn't know the gospel from a bear that's running around naked in the woods. So the point I'm trying to make, brothers and sisters, is that Paul tells all of us, you need to hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think our great danger in our church is, is that we substitute, not universalism, we're not really into that. We're not really into pluralism, actually. We're not even into relativism. But I think sometimes what we get into is legalism. And with legalism, what comes with it is the fact that we think, well, if I do this thing, then God will accept me. If I just show up at church, I'm right with God. If I just go to the youth group, on Friday night. And so people grow up thinking, okay, I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay because I come to church. Or I do this or that or the other, whatever the this, that or the other is. Well, brothers and sisters, coming to church or doing this, that or the other, that don't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian, as Paul stresses, is, is believing in the gospel of the grace of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what do I mean when I say grace? Some of you aren't too clear on that. So, got the roving mics? I'm going to see uh, who's been paying attention in messages for the last eight weeks or so and who might be a tad bit confused. If you're confused, we won't embarrass you. We'll just try and help you in your confusion. But I have a question. What do I mean when I say the grace of Christ? Who can define the grace of Christ? Raise your hands. Okay. Let's bring the mic over here. Where's the mic? Here we go. What is the grace? The grace of Christ is meaning. Is what? The grace of Christ is what gives the world meaning. Okay, it definitely gives meaning. But what do I mean when I say grace? Like, you told me what grace does for people in their lives. It does give them meaning. But I'm asking you a different question. Who can define for me the grace of Christ? See, you guys don't even know what it is. You can't even define it. Somebody want to take a guess on this side? We got the mic over here. Oh. Should I wait and let someone else guess first? Please, go ahead, Allie. I was going to say, uh, here's a verse that says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, and you know, even less rarely will someone die for a good man, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, Jesus doesn't just say to his disciples, love one another, but he says, love one another as I have loved you. Meaning, when it was inconvenient for him to die for them, he still did it. And so, hence, when it's inconvenient for us to forgive other people or to accept, you know, the the fact that other people are sinners too, we still have to do it even though we don't want to. Okay, you went way beyond my question, okay, but, yeah. but that, that's okay. You did say one word that I think is very important. The grace of Christ begins with forgiveness. 
you don't earn it. You didn't do anything to work for it. Uh, but God freely forgives you through what Christ did. Is there another thing that is involved in grace? Someone else want to add to the definition? We've started out by saying that grace is forgiveness. Someone else want to add to that? Okay. Whoop. Over there. Oh. Grace is um, God's um, love for us, even though we're so undeserving of it. Even though we don't deserve anything he's given us, his grace has fully redeemed us. Okay. So, undeserved forgiveness. Okay. All right. So, we'll just add an adjective to forgiveness. Someone else. What else is involved in grace? I wasn't planning on this taking this long in my message, um, but it is interesting. Um, I guess another way of saying undeserved forgiveness would be a free gift. Grace is a free gift without strings attached. Okay, but we've already said that. That's, that's, that's the same thing of what we've said. Um, it, you guys have made a 50% on the entrance exam that gets you into heaven and teaches you how to live the Christian life. Um, how do we like step it up and, and seal the deal and understand from the Bible's perspective what's involved in grace? It begins with forgiveness, and that forgiveness is indeed undeserved. But what else does grace involve? It's a gift of love, though. Mm, that's all. That's all involved in what we said or, or, or earlier. What else is involved in grace? When Paul says the grace of Christ, you have to know what he means and what he's referring to. I'll give one other person a chance, and then I'll share with you the answer. Okay? In the front. Right. This is scary. I don't know whether I have the right answer or not. Um, Another thing I think I will add is the forgiveness God has given us is forever. It's forgive not only the thing we have done before, not the thing only done before Christ has died for us, but also the thing before and after forever. All the thing, everything. It just washed away by okay. the Christ. So you want to point out that grace keeps on going. It's not, you're not forgiven once and then you fall back into a situation where you're out of it. Okay. Um, I must move on. I have a lot to say. No time to say it. Um, and that's okay. If I don't finish today, I will continue the overview next week. So nobody get nervous and start looking at your watches. Everything's going to be just fine. You're going to get your, you're going to get your lunch and your kids on time. But... Brothers and sisters, when we come to the scriptures, we need to realize that grace not only focuses in on the undeserved kindness and forgiveness we have in the gospel when we receive Christ by faith. It also talks about the life that we live in grace so that the power to live a transformed life comes from God's grace. So grace is more than forgiveness. It's also power to live the resurrection life. That comes from Romans 6. I'd like to invite all of you to come to the joint worship service next um, Sunday morning at 930. I'll be preaching on Romans 6 and get into in depth about how God's grace works itself out in the life that we live before the Lord. But the point is, is that grace does something for you. Forgiveness, that simply cancels your sin. But grace does something in you as well. It transforms you. And that's the point that Paul makes in chapter 1, verses 13 through 24. Listen as he shares his testimony. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, 
how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to to see those who were apostles before me. Hang on, I lost my pages. Sorry about this, people. I think I grabbed the wrong page this morning. Ah, here we go. I'm having a senior moment. Um, But I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. One of the main themes of the book of Galatians is that you become personally transformed by God's grace. Paul shares his testimony. He went from being a persecutor, a killer of Christians, to the apostle, to the Gentiles. How does something happen like that? That is crazy. That's insane. What power is there in a message that can turn a bad person, a murderer, into one who's willing to give his life in service for the church of Christ, even if he has to suffer for it, even if he has to go to prison for it? That's what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. Grace changes everything. Grace can change any person. Grace changes the way you look at the people who right now are bad people, or people you think are hopeless, or people you think could never become Christians. I challenge you, look at the life of the Apostle Paul, and then pray for that person who you think is so beyond hope that they could never become a a Christian. When I grew up in Florida... Um, it wasn't all suntans and nice cars. Um, unfortunately, I grew up in a very redneck town. And when I went to junior high school, because I became a Christian at age nine and I was vocal about my witness for Jesus Christ, there were people who didn't like me, people who would beat me up, people who would m- make my life miserable. And one of those guys was named Tim Goff. And Tim Goff was what we call a hood. And a hood was one of these guys who's always getting into trouble drinking too much, you know, getting into fights, that kind of thing. Well, I was flying on a plane from Rochester, New York, home to, to, to Florida. One day I was sitting next to a man. We come to find out that both of us uh, were born and raised in Titusville. This man I was talking to went to the alt, um, alternative high school, the other high school. It was astronaut. I went to Titusville High School. And we started talking about people that we knew and things. And I shared that I was a Christian, and in the middle of my conversation, the guy's like, oh man, I, I, I have this friend who became a Christian. His name is Tim Goff. And I like practically choked on my uh, uh, almonds and coke. I said, what? Tim Goff became a Christian? This man 
who I had prayed for many, many, many times over many years. He's like, yeah, dude, he went from being almost in prison to being a guy who's like talking about Jesus all the time. And I'm thinking, that's really interesting. So, so then months pass. I go back to college. I'm now coming back. Um, I'm coming back at the end of the year. And my parents picked me up at the Orlando airport. And they, they said to me, hey, do you remember that guy, Danny, who you shared the gospel with on the plane last time you, you flew down here? And I said, yeah. And my mom looked at me and she said, well, his brother took a gun and shot him dead a few weeks ago. And he's dead. And I went, what? And she's like, but the good news is, is right before that happened, he had accepted Christ and he was baptized. So the man becomes a Christian, this guy who I shared with, and then his brother kills him. And so... I, I was down in Florida, and one of the things that happened to me when I was in Florida is I got invited to play trumpet during the offertory in the church where this guy had become a Christian, been baptized, and then later they did his funeral. So it was a very uh, emotional uh, time for me that, that day during the service. This was the same church that I was saved in, and they had a choir loft uh, up behind where the, the pastor stood to preach. So I was standing in the choir loft next to the piano and I was going to play on my trumpet, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I couldn't see the elders. The elders were, were sitting in chairs and they were all facing this way and I was looking out this way so I had no, no idea who they were but as is common in many Baptist churches, the, the one elder got up, one of the elders got up to lead the prayer before the offering. So here's what happens. This guy who... I couldn't see who he was, gets up, walks up to pray before the offering. And right before he prays, he turns around and he looks at me and he smiles. And it was Tim Goff. He had gone from being the hood of my junior high school and, and high school to then being the elder in the church where I was saved. And brothers and sisters, I could hardly, I could hardly play trumpet. I was so, so overcome. Why was I overcome? I'll tell you why. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change people's lives. I'd like to ask Ben Gu to come up and Ben, you can um, help in, in my message. Ben's been sharing with me and with others about how the gospel has changed his life. And I'd like to give him an opportunity to just share a little bit. Hello, I'm Ben. <laughs> so... I'm just going to be sharing a little bit about what God has told me in response to grace and the cross. So I'd just like to share that with you. <laughs> and so I just kind of want to start giving like, um, so in this, in college, I was brought to a point where I felt total condemnation before God. And, and I realized that one of the main reasons why was because I was trying to conquer sin. And what I didn't realize was that sin was powerful. And it's in our nature and we are helpless against it. And so as I struggled, as I tried to fight the sin, I was put upon guilt, put upon shame, put on condemnation. And so... And so... Even though I grew up in this church and I knew about the cross, it didn't really strike it to the heart. And, and what I learned about the cross is that 
what we are helpless before sin, God is powerful. And though we are slaves, God has set you free, and only God, through his love poured out on the cross, through forgiveness, is able to wash you clean. And this And because God is so powerful, He is able to transform you. And it doesn't come from within us. You cannot fight against this, trying to conquer sin, like trying to fill up a checklist, trying to say before God, look what I have done today. It's rather, it comes from within, and it, it's overflowing. It changes, it, as Pastor Ten said, it changes every single part of your day. And I just want you to um, just come before God and and lay yourself before Him because we are powerless against the forces of sin. But God can and will change you when you come before Him. So let me close with this question. What about you today? Have you been transformed by God's grace? Does the grace of Christ and the fact that God loves you enough to send His Son into the world to die for your sins, has that message become so important to you that it's made a difference in your life? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for what You've taught us about the power of God's grace, the grace that You've given us in Christ, and how You've shown us through Paul's life what You can do when You get a hold of us. Thank You for getting a hold of Ben. Thank you for getting a hold of many of us in this congregation. And I pray, Lord, that you'd wake up those who are spiritually asleep, that they realize that your grace is there for us. It's, it's vast, it's deep, it's unending, and it's free, and it's real, and it's in Jesus. Help us hold to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.